going to be talking about uh, the mind. And because if you, if you were like me, and I have gone through the Bible, I've gone through uh, seminary, I've done all this stuff. If you were to quiz me, and I'm still a bit embarrassed to uh, admit this, is I may know more about pop culture than I know about the Bible. And, uh, and if you are, are like me, you probably have more knowledge of pop culture facts than you do of Bible facts. As you know more songs, you know uh, the lyrics, you know the movies, you know quotes, you have a ton of useless information uh, about the world and the world that we live in. And here's what's interesting, is I think that um, not only do we have all this information, all these facts about the world, and, but we have begun to believe the things that we are taught about the world. Uh, we have begun to adopt the values that we are fed all the time, and we don't even realize it. Is a lot of the things that we believe have been given to us, and we think, oh, this is common sense. Of course, this is my ideals. These are my values. And we don't realize that they have been given to us, and we are a product of the time and the place in which we were born and our surroundings. The things that we hold most dear in life are actually not things that we came up with, but they are things that were given to us, and it has shaped how we see everything from marriage to sex to morality to the afterlife to our beliefs in God, and, and it is being given to us all the time. So there's a book called um, Hollywood Worldviews, and uh, it's by Brian Godwa, and he talks about how um, Hollywood, and this is just specific to Hollywood, but I think it applies to all the different uh, avenues of media, uh, is giving us a worldview, giving us values and beliefs, and they're creeping into our psyche, and we don't even realize it. And so if you take some of the more popular movies, and these were popular probably 15 uh, years ago or so, but uh, you may have seen them. Um, one is The Truman Show. So if you've seen The Truman Show before, it's Jim Carrey, you know who that is at least. Uh, it's a fascinating movie, because what happens in The Truman Show is Jim Carrey is uh, the ultimate reality show, but he doesn't know it. There is this world that was created by this producer, and he lives in this fake, perfect reality, but he doesn't know it. He was born in it, he's raised in it, and every, the, the entire rest of the world is watching him in this giant bubble live this life, but he doesn't know. And as he's living this perfect life, he begins to realize that something is off, that uh, things aren't adding up, things aren't making sense. And what's happening here is the people who produce this movie, they are actually telling you something about the world that we live in. Because the main character, or it's, excuse me, the, uh, the creator character in this show is called Christoph, Christ of Trump. Christ of Trump, and he is seen as God or the creator. And the way that J the character Jim Carrey finally breaks free of this false narrative that he's been living is he rejects the creator and he starts to live his own life. Do you see the, the, do you see the philosophical implications of what they're pu pushing on us? They're not even being that hidden about it. They're even using words and names that are close to it is, you need to reject the creator if you want to truly be free. You're living in a false narrative, a false reality, and you have to, you have to reject this thing that, that you have been fed. There's other movies like The Green Mile. You probably have seen that before, or at least you've heard of it. Green Mile is about an uh, innocent man who's kind of childlike, and he has this incredible healing power. And he is um, getting sent to the electric chair, but he's done nothing wrong to deserve it. Clearly, the people who are producing this, or the, the author, was trying to give you a Christ-like figure. If you look at the synopsis of it, it is about Jesus and his painting Christianity in a positive light, where the uh, Truman Show was positing it in a negative light. And yet, you probably never thought of it when you saw those movies in those terms, but yet they are trying to give you values and beliefs specifically about Christianity in those movies. But every movie that we see 
is giving us some kind of worldview. It's trying to tell us something about how to think and how to view the world, and then how we should act accordingly. See, the, oh, my daughter watches, or she, she did, now she's on to Moana, um, which by the way, there's a character in Moana, I'm just thinking about this, and I'm not sure how to approach it with her, is he is a demigog, right? But she calls him a, a demigoo or something like that. She doesn't know what that is, you know? And so she's like trying to figure out what it is. And we haven't gotten into that whole thing yet, but they're giving her a worldview, right? They're, they're telling her certain things about the world. Her favorite movie has always been Frozen. And the main uh, song in Frozen goes like this. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now you're telling four-year-olds this worldview is you should be free. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you who to be. You're in charge of your destiny. Oh, I just made that. That's verse two. Hello. <laughs> just, oh my gosh. Freestyle that. Okay. All right. <laughs> the moment. Um, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing is all of these ideas that are being pushed through us, um, whether explicitly or they're kind of uh, being put into our subconscious, all of these ideas have consequences because that's the point of ideas. Ideas have consequences. So this week I was watching a bunch of uh, documentaries. I don't know how I got on this. I think it was on Netflix and I saw something that looked interesting. So, and then I got on a kick. It was about Russia and I wanted to know more about Russia because I've never been there. I don't know anything about Russia. And so I'm watching these documentaries and it's interesting to see what started as a set of beliefs and ideas by a philosopher ended in the death of tens of millions of people. So you could trace it all the way back, and that's what these documentaries are doing, is you trace it back to, to Marx and to Engels, and they wrote the Communist Manifesto, and they proposed these certain ideas, these so, certain uh, sociological ideas in which um, here is the way society should look, and here is what uh, humanity is, and here is what human nature is. And so they proposed this worldview and this uh, way of life, and then other people started to adopt it and go, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Specifically a guy named Lenin. Lenin comes and he says, you know what? We need to put this into practice. And so he starts this revolution. He adds some of his ideas. And then this other guy comes behind him, Joseph Stalin. Stalin implements these. He becomes ruthless and he kills tens of millions of people. And we can see this throughout all of human history. In fact, this is true of how we got here today, is there are a, a set of beliefs and ideas that are put into action, and then they will change uh, the, the world. And in fact, they'll change our lives. This is true uh, on a personal level, is we have grown up, many of us, in a generation in which we were told, um, become whoever it is you want to be. Like, if you follow your dreams, you're going to, be you're going to accomplish whatever you want. Right, just, just set your mind to it and you can have it. Now, all of us were sold this bill and yet we have not been able to cash it. You know, if you think about your dreams as a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, you're going to be very disappointed. This is a harsh reality is as you get older, those dreams are going to die. Ugh. It's gonna be painful because no matter how much you wanna be in the NBA, you are 5'9 and white. It's not happening, okay? I don't care, it's not gonna happen. It doesn't matter how much you, like how you believe in it, it's just not going to happen because you have been sold this idea and it's not actually going to come true. See, all these values, all these ideas, these beliefs that we've been given as a culture, especially generational beliefs, um, they will affect the way that we live. And we realize that they're not true and you will realize it around by the time you're 30, you're going to realize that it's not true and it will have devastating consequences because your world will be turned upside down. And so um, 
not only is this true on a personal level, but this is true of, uh, of where you live in the world. So sociologists tell us that you believe things about the world um, based on when and where you were born. In fact, it's more crucial when and where you were born than what family you were born into. And so if you think about being born in the United States versus being born somewhere in the Eastern world, you have a certain set of values. You look at the world a certain way, and it seems so right to you. It just seems like, yes, of course, this is the way things are. This is the way the world is. But you don't realize you think that just because of where you were born. So take one ideal that we have is individualism. We believe that the purpose of our life is to pursue our own goals, our own desires, that we should have the career, we should have the marriage, we should pursue all the things that we want. In fact, it almost seems like, well, is there another option? Of course, it's about what we want. That's what, that's what, that's what we get up every day for. And then if you went to somewhere in the, in the East, they would say, no, your life is not about you. It's not about the career you want. It's not about who you're going to fall in love with and marry one day. It's not about, none of it's about you. It's all about the family. It's all about the tribe. It's all about our community. And your whole purpose of being is to pursue the good of the tribe, of the family. So take one example, arranged marriages. We think that's insane, right? We go, how could my, some of you guys are open to it at this point, but like, like you're just, <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just seeing if you're awake. Um, but to us, we go, that doesn't make any sense. What if they're ugly? What if I don't get along with them? What, I mean, it just, that seems crazy. But it's because you are so uh, ingrained with the society that you have been raised in because you think marriage is about your happiness, about your comfort, about your joy. And yet in their culture, they say, no, 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 no. Your marriage is about helping us benefit. It's about making our lives as a community better. It's about our family. And so you don't get to go and pick who you love or who you get along with or who you're attracted with. No, 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 because that's not the purpose. The purpose is for the betterment of the group. And so when they see someone who will help better the community, then they're going to arrange that marriage. Does that make sense? And so it permeates every part of our life. Even the most simple or most profound things that we think are most obvious, um, we are really just a product of our environment. Our culture has shaped the way that we think about sex and the way that we think about marriage, but specifically the way that we think about religion and God and the big questions of life, is we either reject or believe certain things, not because we've thought through them, not because we've wrestled with them, just because of where we were born. And so if you think about things like um, the big questions of life, like where did we come from? How are we supposed to live? Um, what is our identity? What happens when we die? What's a purpose? When we think about the big, profound questions of life, um, the answers that we come up with will be because of where we were born. Now, the culture that we live in is unique because they say, don't worry about the big questions. You don't need to think about those things. In fact, I'm going to give you a thousand distractions so that you don't think about any of those big questions. And so for the most part, people, on the, if you ask them like a random person on the street, any of those questions, they will come up with the most shallow surface answer that you've ever heard. Why? Because we're, we, are, we are distracted our entire lives not to think about those questions. And when we're asked questions about like truth, we say, well, you know, whatever's true for you is true for you. And that seems so right to us. And when we think about religion, we think, well, all paths lead to God if there is a God and if she exists. And, and yet that seems so appropriate. That seems so right. But the only reason why we say that is because we're when you go to the Middle East, they're not giving you that answer. 
their answer is going to look vastly different. And to them, it seems obvious. And then, of course, the afterlife. I had to... Um, I sit in a a meeting this week in which someone tragically died, and it's the part that I hate about my job, is having to constantly deal with death. And so in this meeting, it was planning for the funeral, and we were talking about death, and you just are confronted with it, and you have to, you have to, we spend all the time trying to run from and avoid thinking about death, but in those moments, you have to. And so as we're sitting there with this grieving family, and we're talking about the afterlife, one of the things that struck me as so sad was, of course, the loss, but was also just these, um, these shallow uh, beliefs that they had about death and the afterlife. You have been so distracted the the years that you've been alive that you've never even thought about what happens after you die. You just throw up that God has a plan and heaven's going to be great and that's all you've got. I I couldn't imagine living like that, especially in the face of such tragedy is don't you want to wrestle with these big questions? I mean, it's coming for all of us. We don't want to think about it, but death is coming for each one of us. Some of us, it will be sooner than others, and yet we try to avoid thinking through the implications of the afterlife. Norman Cousins says this. He says, our age is not the age of the meditative man. It's a sprinting, shoving age. Daily new antidotes for contemplation spring into being and leap out from store counters. See, Pascal, um, Blaise Pascal, if you've heard of him, he was a mathematician, he was a scientist, he lived a few hundred years ago. He's one of my favorite authors, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the books that he wrote was called Ponces, and I, I was reading it again this week. And the diagnosis that he gives for why people reject faith is so applicable today as it was 400 years ago. It is amazing. He says, the thing that keeps people um, from really wrestling with this is distractions, is we find distractions to keep us from having to contemplate the big questions of life. And this was before TV, this was before internet, Netflix, this is before all that. He said, even in my day, we try to distract ourselves away from asking the big questions. And the way that we kind of deal with this is when we find a soundbite answer, something that sounds good to us, we go, that's it, that's my philosophy for life. So, uh, I don't know, it was probably seven or eight years ago, the philosophy of life was YOLO, right? You only live once, and then you go, that's awesome. And we're going to party like rock stars then. And people like live their entire life based on a stupid slogan that they heard in a song or they saw in a meme. That's crazy to me. That is just, that is, that's crazy. Or the other thing we do is we live according to what we feel is right about the world. I call this emotionalism is what we emotionally believe to be true about ourselves and the rest of the world. That becomes kind of our worldview. That becomes our belief system. And so this last week, um, we do this thing called Rooted, and some of you guys have done Rooted before, and we have about 700 people who come here midweek, and they do these groups called Rooted, which way they go through curriculum and they discuss faith. And the, the, the things that I'm being told that are happening in the groups are amazing, some crazy life transformation. But the other shocking thing is the beliefs that people hold. Even people who claim to be Christians have been coming to church for a long time. They will say certain things that you go, that is in direct contradiction to what the Bible says. So for instance, a guy said this week, you know, I just, I don't believe in the devil or hell. I just don't believe in it. I choose not to believe in it. I'm like, that is fair. You just choose not to believe in it. Okay. So it's just not a thing. You know, it's like, Hey, I don't believe in cancer. It's not a thing. And I just choose not to believe in cancer. It's like, why? Well, it just, that just makes sense. It just feels right. So wait a minute, your test for truth in the world is what feels right to you. And we do this all the time. People, you ask them about God and you ask them about heaven and hell and you say, well, what do you think about God? Well, God wouldn't do that. 
Well, that's not what God is like. No, 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 that can't be what the afterlife is like. That can't be, who says who? Why do you think that? And it always comes down to, I don't know, that's just what I feel is right. So you're betting all of eternity on what you feel is right. What if you ate something bad that day and you had heartburn and so your feelings were way off? Your whole eternity is screwed up because you had bad Indian food. Does that not scare anybody? And that's the way that many of us will live our lives as we go through not thinking about the big questions, not worrying about that kind of stuff, not wrestling with it, but just going on, I don't know, that's kind of what I feel. This is what makes sense to me. This is what the celebrity said on TV. And I said, amen, brother. And now we're in. All right. Um, here's the thing is, for me, uh, the intellectual pursuit of asking the big questions has been the thing that saved me from walking away from my faith. Many of you guys know my story is uh, six or seven years ago, I was really wrestling with, is all this stuff true? Or did I, do I just believe it because I was raised in the church and this is what I was taught to believe and this is what my parents believed and so I've just never questioned it and I just keep going on like a robot in which I'm going, okay, yes, sir, I'll do what I'm told. And so I started to wrestle with the big questions. Well, is there really a God? And is Jesus who he claimed to be? And, and, and is this all a lie? And can the Bible be trusted? And, can, and so I started to ask questions. In fact, it pushed me to go get my master's in theology and go talk to people who, who knew these answers. And here's the things that I learned through that intellectual pursuit, is that if you are not a Christian, thinking about these things can bring you into uh, a relationship with Jesus. That thinking actually leads to faith. And that's what the scripture says in Hebrews 11. It says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So this phrase here that says confidence in what we hope for is literally translated to that which is placed under or foundation or the thing that we stand on. And so this is great insight from whoever wrote Hebrews, which we don't know. He's pointing out that everybody is standing on some kind of foundation and they're viewing the world from it. Is everybody has core beliefs and they have those uh, presuppositions in which, or those answers to the big questions. And when they look out in the world, they're standing on some type of foundation. This foundation is what we call a worldview. And so as they look into the world, they have to answer the big questions of life and then they have to live with the consequences of those answers. So let me just give you an example. Is if you believe that we came from nothing, we are just one big cosmic accident, and when we die, it's lights out, nothing happens after this, it is going to affect, at least if you're consistent in your thinking, it is going to affect the way that you live. It is when tragedy happens in your life, it should be a serious question if you should continue on or not. Right? We talked about this last week a little bit. And some of the greatest philosophers who were nihilists, they said, you know, if we are just a cosmic accident and nothing happens after this, when life gets just so hard that you just don't want to do it anymore, just end it. And they would say that the biggest struggle, or at least the biggest question is, should you end your life or not? Why? Now, that's dark, right? That is some dark philosophy, but, but it, it's consistent. Why? Because if there is nothing, and this is just hard, just end it and you can end the pain, and so these are consequences of the foundational beliefs that we have. But for me as a Christian, when I look at this and I look at the world and I see tragedy and I see difficult times, I can have a hope because my foundation says that this isn't all that there is, that this is just the entrance into eternity. And so I can withstand harsher times or, or, or difficult, uh, difficult times in my life because I have the hope that this isn't all that there is. The same is true of meaning, 
is if this is all that there is, we're a big cosmic accident, there is no ultimate meaning, right? We're just playing an, a game that at the end, everything goes back into the box and nobody wins. There is no consequences. There is no rewards. This is just a silly game in which we're running around playing. And yet if my worldview is correct, I have meaning that lasts far beyond my life. I have meaning that will echo into eternity. And so as a Christian, you have to realize, or if you're not a Christian, you have to realize everybody has a worldview. Everybody is standing on a, a, a series of answers. And if you have no answers, that's an answer in itself. And you have to ask, which worldview makes the most sense out of the world that we see? Which one can get me through the difficult times? Which one gives me hope? Which one gives me meaning? Which one gives me identity? See, I may not have all the uh, answers to the questions of life, but when I look at my worldview and I look at your worldview, mine has some holes in it. Yours is crumbling. And so Christianity, at the end of the day, I believe, is the only one that can lead us, uh, thinking can lead us to faith. Continues on, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, so this is like deep, all right? This is deep philosophy. This is deep scientific thinking right here. Let me read it again. Here's what he says. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. So here's what he's saying is, um, by faith, faith would be synonymous in the Bible with trust. We trust that what we see around us was not always in existence. So did you know that if you rewind about like 60, 70 years ago, science believed that the world and the universe, that it was eternally existing. Did you know this? It is, you know? No. Are we awake? Remember science, right? Okay, here we go. Is it, they believed that the universe had always existed. And yet the scripture says it didn't actually. That this was created a finite time ago, and it was created by this all-powerful God. Now, this is like saying this 2,000 years ago, it's claiming this science just caught up in the last 70 years to what the Bible was saying. That's crazy, okay? That's crazy stuff. And it says this, by faith that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what, we was, that what we see was not made out of what was visible. It's giving you a creation philosophy 2,000 years ago that science just met up with. Now, this is written by some pretty deep thinkers. This is some pretty deep theology and philosophy and science is when we look at the universe, we deduce that everything in existence could not have eternally existed. Now, I can get through the arguments of why that is and everything, but you need to sign up for my class if you want to get that, all right? This is not free tonight, okay? <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. No, it would just take forever. But we'll talk about stuff like that, in which why did the universe not eternally exist? And how did they know that a couple thousand years ago? And how do we convince somebody of that? All things that you'll get in my class. Okay, here we go. Number two, thinking grows your faith. Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here's what uh, Paul says. It says, if you want to grow in your faith, you know what you shouldn't do? Or not what you shouldn't do, but you know what the thing that the first thing he recommends is? You would think it would be like, I don't know, I should go like, be like a monk or something. Like, that's how I would get deep, you know? Like, whenever I think about deep faith, I'm like, a monk. I need a robe and some silence, and then I'm pretty sure I could go deep. And what Paul says here is he goes, you know, if you want to go deep in your faith, it's like deep is like super in right now. Uh, if you want to go deep, you know what you need to do? Renew your mind. You need to think about things. You need to actually go deep in your intellectual pursuit, and that's how you're going to go deep in your faith. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So not only is it 
who we think God is, but the depth of understanding that we have of God tells us a lot about who you are. I've never met an intellectually shallow person who also has deep faith. The people that I know that have the deepest faith often are the people who have gone the deepest intellectually. And the reason is because in this scripture, in Romans, it says that if you want to be transformed, you have to do it through your thinking. It gives us two words, conformed and transformed. See, Christians are transformed, not conformed. So conformed would mean that the world tells you what to think and what to believe and the values you are to hold, and then you conform to what they're telling you. And Christians say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not interested in what you say. I'm not interested in the beliefs that you're trying to push on me because I am constantly transforming my mind, and it's going to be to the patterns of what the scripture says. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, says, for we live by faith, not by sight. Now, when you first hear this, you might think, ah, see, you guys just have this blind faith, you Christians. You don't actually think through things, but that's not what he says here. What he says here is that we live by faith. Remember, that's synonymous with trust, not by sight. People think we live by faith and not by reason, but that's not at all what it's about. I remember I was on a plane, and I was sitting next to um, this young lady, and she was just super nervous. Just super nervous. And I I don't know if it was her first time on a plane. I don't know if she had never been this before, but you could just tell she was really anxious to be on this flight. And you can give her all the stats of like, hey, like you, it was more likely that you were gonna die on your way here than like in a plane, which I don't know why that's comforting, but yeah, you know, and and you can tell her all the stats of like, it's gonna be fine and it hardly ever happens and don't you worry about it. And she would go, I agree. Intellectually, I agree. But there's something within my heart that says, I don't know, man, this seems kind of sketchy, though. We're like really high, and we're going really fast, and we're eating peanuts. Like, this is crazy, you know? (laughs) And it's because oftentimes what we feel to be true is not actually true. So I listen to this podcast all the time. It's by an Orthodox Jew. And he says, facts don't care about your feelings. And I love that saying because that is so true, is we want to live our lives based on what we feel to be true. And yet that's not always what corresponds with reality. Your feelings may not always correspond with what is true in any given situation. And so we have to constantly be renewing our mind, meaning we have to be seeking for truth, and then we have to be um, renewing our mind to uh, be focused in and believe that truth even when we don't feel like it's true. That we always have to be pursuing the things that we, that we know to be true and reminding ourselves of that truth. And that's really what he's saying here. He also says uh, in, uh, you know what, Jesus says this too. Look, here's what he says. For my entire life, I have had worry and anxiety issues. It's not news if you, you know me. Even when I was little, I would always be worried and stressed. It would make my stomach churn, and I just wouldn't be able to like eat, and I wouldn't be able to sleep, and I was freaking out. So my parents would always read me these Bible verses um, about worry and anxiety. And one of the Bible verses is where Jesus is talking about the lilies of the field. And I didn't realize this until recently, because my parents would always point out, hey, like Jesus here is talking about just these, these small little items, these flowers and these sparrows, and and how much more he cares for you, and he, he, you got to trust him because he's going to take care of your future. But I never realized the first word that Jesus says when he talks about not worrying. He says this. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider. That, that means think through. It means deduce. 
That means use your reason to overcome your worry and your anxiety. Now, I understand there's medical issues, and yes, there's depression, there's anxiety, and there's all those kinds of things, but for the most part, the situations in which we find ourselves where we're anxious and worried, the way that we can overcome it is through thinking, through, through deducing, through, through renewing our mind. Number four, we'd be prepared for battle, and this is probably one of the reasons why I think our intellectual pursuit of faith is is crucial. J.P. Moreland points out in his, um, in his book, Love God with All Your Mind, that one of the worst positions to be in as far as war is to not know that you are in one. One of the worst places in war to be is to not know that you're in the midst of a battle. And he also points out that this culture war that we see all around us is not the left versus the right, or it's not, this, um, it's not this group versus the other group. It is actually a spiritual war that is being fought right in front of us. And so if we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, how does this battle um, take place? If you go to different parts of the world, you can see it, it is actually a physical battle that is taking place. If you go to other places of the world, um, like Africa, I've been to Africa, and there is, an, there is a spiritual battle happening. There is witchcraft there, and there is the gospel being preached, and there is, it's like tangible spiritual things are happening there. But what does it look like here in the West? The way that the West fights this spiritual battle is over ideas. It's over philosophies, and it's over worldviews. And the spiritual battle is always, um, is always happening, uh, not always, but is regularly happening through what we see on TV, what we see and hear uh, on the radio, what we're watching on Netflix. But if you go home right now and you start scrolling through Netflix and you think of this as a spiritual battle, who is winning the spiritual battle on Netflix? Is it God? Like, is, is God's values and beliefs and ideas, are those the ones that are being given to us through what we watch on Netflix, or is it something else? See, when we start to look at all the things that we view and all the things that we listen to through the lens of spirituality, we start to realize that there are two kingdoms that are in conflict. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is constantly trying to put these ideas and these beliefs into our mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So he says, yeah, we're in a battle right now, but we don't go out, we're not the crusaders, and we're not gonna go out there and we're gonna try to cut people's heads off. No, that's not how we wage war. The way that we wage war is through the mind, is through ideas, is through beliefs. And so the worst place for us to be in this war is not to know that we're in one. It says this, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, or excuse me, de demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, our job is to be spiritual warriors. This, is, this happens through worship, this happens through prayer, but this also happens through ideas, through uh, the pursu pursuit of the mind, in which we have to knock down arguments that set themselves up against God. Now, people go, well, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be negative. No, 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 no. There's a difference between arguments and argumentative. Argumentative means you are a punk and you're trying to win and you're trying to put somebody down. Arguments means, listen, um, I get your perspective. I can understand how you got there, but let, let me show you a different way to think. Let me show you why that may not be the correct way to view things. 
See, we are supposed to knock down the arguments that our friends and our family and society puts towards us so that in love we can bring them into the truth. But the problem is most of us don't know what the truth is. As I hear conversations from people, and it can be people who have been Christians for a long time or people who it is their first time coming to church, is they don't really know what the, church, or what the, what the truth is. Is they don't know the truth of the Bible, they don't know the truth of who Jesus is, they don't know any of the truths. And if we are called to be people who go and transform the world, we have to know what the message is first. If we're going there and we're going to transform the world through these ideas and these beliefs, we should probably have them down pretty well. And one of the things that I get, and I, I understand why, is I get these emails, and it's, it happens from parents a lot, parents of young adults, and no one in here, don't worry, eh, maybe a couple of you guys, but parents email me all the time, and they go, hey, my kid doesn't go to church anymore, they're not interested in spiritual things, can you talk to them? They have all these questions, and I get that, like I'm a pastor, I probably have to, I, mean, I always write them back, go, no, why don't you do that? Like, you can read, right? Like, you know, you can look up these questions. Or I'll get people all the time like, hey, what is the question? I go, you have Google, don't you? Do you still have Google? I have Google. That's how I find the answer. Why don't you find the answer too? It's because we just don't want to take the time to actually have to pursue, uh, pursue things intellectually. And so one of the things that we've done here for a long time is um, we have pushed people in their pursuit of loving God with their mind. We have uh, had for many years now classes and small groups and things like that, and, and, um, and we decided we're going to do another one because um, we see a ton of new people, new faces here. Maybe you haven't had the opportunity to pursue your faith intellectually. And so I decided I'm going to do four weeks where I'm going to hang out and we're going to go through some of this stuff. We're going to talk theology. We're going to talk philosophy. We're going to ask tons of questions because not only is it important for our own faith journey, and will it grow us deeper in our understanding and love for Christ? But, and here's one of the, probably the biggest motivators for me, is if there is a day when, when God opens up a door with someone that I know or someone that I run into and they ask me a question about faith, I want to be ready. Because there is no more disappointing moment when someone asks you a question and you go, I know that I should know this, but I don't. And so I got nothing. See, God gives us these little opportunities to partner with him in the world, to change people's lives. And one of the ways we do is someone's going to ask you a question. I have these questions all the time. Um, it always happens when I'm getting my hair cut, right? Always happens when I'm getting my hair cut. The hairstylist will drop a bomb like, hey, what about that like Vegas thing? Where was God in that? And you go, okay, cool. Uh, let's do this. But see, I think many people, many people that I know, Christians, they wouldn't be ready to answer it. And so not only do we have to pursue this for ourselves, but we have to pursue this for the people around us. And so I'll give you a real quick promo is um, four weeks. We're going to start this Thursday night. It's super cheap. It's 15 bucks. If you literally cannot afford $15, I will pay for you personally because we care this much about people engaging their faith uh, with their mind. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this place. Thank you for everybody in this room and um, just their... Uh, their willingness to pursue you. Uh, they have obviously showed that uh, by being here tonight, um, whether someone dragged them here or whether they came here and they just were seeking some answers, they were looking for some comfort, or they're looking for peace, whatever it is, whatever got, him in this door, in the, got them in this door tonight, um, we would pray that you would continue to push us in our faith journey, whether we're just starting it or whether we've been on this journey for a long time. And Lord God, we want to get to know you, not just on an emotional level, not just on this uh, spiritual level, but through one of the greatest gifts that you've given us, which is our mind. And so, Lord God, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.